Welcome to the Pet Industry Podcast, connecting you with the people behind the passion, the leading experts in the pet industry. I'm your host, Dr. Megan Sprinkle. And I'm your other host, Dr. Mary Cope. Welcome to the Pet Industry Podcast, where we take you behind the scenes in the pet industry and discuss the more common questions in pet health. We brought our colleague, Dr. Stephanie Clark, to discuss a very common question. Do cats and dogs need fiber? As pet owners, we want good gut health for our pets and good stool quality. And we are learning more and more about how we can use nutrition to achieve this and how nutrition interacts with the microbiome in the gut. At the end of the day, good poop is a happy pet and a happy pet parent. You will hear a lot of poop euphemisms. We had a fun time. You will learn about the difference between carbohydrates and fiber, how to recognize different types of fiber on a label, and how we use different fiber sources when a pet is healthy or sick. So here we go. How can you not have fun with fiber when you basically get to talk about poop? And that's a lot of what we do as nutritionists is work with poop. It's a great indicator of a lot of things. So I think fiber on top of it, there's a lot of confusion around fiber and that is whether you're science and nutrition or you don't because we get questions about this whether it's a healthcare provider if it is a, a pet owner friends that we have so I, I think it, it's a really interesting topic that seems to always come up no matter how old fiber is but I think this is a great opportunity to just discuss some of the maybe misconceptions more importantly what is fiber and how is it beneficial to our pets where going back to poop, we want good GI health, we want good stools, like all of that is important. And then a big theme that we've been talking about is really around the microbiome, which people are really fascinated about and how fiber interplays with that. I think just like a foundational thing that is also even sometimes confusing is the difference between carbohydrate and fiber. Stephanie, just from your experience, because you've studied a lot about fiber and microbiome, use it in multiple ways. What are, how do you explain the difference between carbohydrate and fiber? I describe it on what it feeds, but maybe that's just because I am a microbiome nerd. So while carbohydrates are your simple sugars, it's your preferred energy source of your brain. It gives you that, that blood glucose to keep your body going while fiber doesn't really feed you or your pet, but it feeds the gut in their bacteria, which then give us energy with their quote unquote byproducts, like short chain fatty acids. So I always talk about it and how it feeds the animal or the host, and then how it feeds the gut. Yeah, and I think the topic of fiber being a carbohydrate is one that a lot of people get confused about because especially with like the raw feeding community, as well as people who feed kibble, it's advertised that dogs and cats do not have a physiological requirement for carbohydrates. And while that is true, they can get all of the energy that they need from protein and fat sources that doesn't negate the fact that fiber is still beneficial for their overall gut health. And I think it's also important to point out that all fiber is a carbohydrate, but not all carbohydrates are going to be fibers. And 
when I talk to people about what fiber is versus the carbohydrates you'll find in a cracker, I break it down to wood has a lot of energy to it. Wood is cellulose, which is a carbohydrate. And when you burn wood, you we know it has a lot of energy because we use it to heat our homes. When you burn it, it gives off that energy. But if you were to eat wood chips or your dog were to eat wood chips, it's going to come out the other end essentially unchanged because we don't have the enzymes required to to break down cellulose. Now, some of our gut bacteria do have the capability of cleaving some of those bonds, and that's why fiber would be a good food source for them. But that's how I break down the concept of fiber versus the carbohydrates that you know you and I utilize for energy. Additionally, I feel like fiber is demonized a lot, even in the kibble community, as being a filler. I feel like people see things like powdered cellulose or beet pulp on a pet food bag and they automatically assume that's a filler, when in reality, that's serving a purpose in there because we want to have both soluble and insoluble fiber in that diet to help with gut health. And Stephanie, you're far better versed in soluble versus insoluble fibers and the uh, the proper ratios that you need. But do you mind expanding a little bit on that for me for what soluble versus insoluble fiber is and how they benefit the animal? Yeah, but I also wanted to note, you can totally tell that you're from the north using the fire <laughs> reference to warm your house. As we're all sweating us, here. And- <laughs> that, that is a valuable call out. <laughs> But yeah, onto that fiber. So insoluble and soluble, it's always a nice blend of both. I always refer to soluble as the fiber that's going to draw water into your gut. Some people like to say lube the tube as it can sometimes help with constipation. And then insoluble is that bulky fiber that's going to add bulk or mass to to the feces. If you're talking lube the tube and adding bulk, obviously you want to have a balance of both. Because too much soluble fiber things can come out quite loose with all that water. And if you've got too much bulk in there, you can have the other issues and have a constipated animal. Yeah. And just going back to the confusing is just that these different types can be very confusing. And it's also where I see a lot of individual variation as well. So no matter what type of fiber, it will impact the movement through the GI tract. Sometimes it will speed it up and sometimes it'll slow it down. It just depends on what the end goal is. No pun intended with the end. But (laughs) different dogs may need different things and maybe even different conditions might need a different type of fiber as well, which is where the fun part comes in when we're designing a diet for a particular goal. So, And I know that comes up a lot too. But even beyond designing certain diets, I know that some people may be interested in adding fiber on top of a diet. And I think the one I always think of or (laughs) where veterinarians think of too, I'm a vet, so I can tease a little bit, is pumpkin. And Stephanie, I think you've mentioned this before too. It's what we knew of and it felt relatively safe as, as long as it was not pumpkin pie feeling. It was a straight pumpkin, try to f- avoid sodium, that kind of thing. But what is your experience around a pumpkin? I'll share mine. And then Mary, please jump in. I feel like adding canned pumpkin to dog food is like this rite of passage that 
was just, it was like a blanket statement, rule of thumb. And I remember early on in, in clinic life, it was diarrhea, constipation, your dog is walking funny, add canned pumpkin. It was the cure for all. (laughs) (laughs) But we started to realize the amount of fiber that's actually in canned pumpkin. When you start looking at the water content, is it really doing what we need it to do? Then you've got some people that if a little bit is good, a lot is way better. And they started adding in half a can of pumpkin to a whole can of pumpkin. And then you've got other issues of diluting nutrients. You've just added in a ton of water, which is going to make your dog or cat want to pee more or have looser stools. It started out really great as a cure. And then I think we realized in moderation. Now, I think we're a little bit more educated on there are different types of fibers and different additives if we want to sprinkle a little extra fiber on. And now the great thing with pet food is there's so many different options with so many different fiber types and amounts and ratios that we can actually let the pet food do its thing and not have to play kitchen nutritionist and start adding in things. Yeah, I can say definitely in the dog show world, whenever there's any sort of GI upset, any sort of loose stool, diarrhea, constipation, pumpkin is always the go-to of something easy for people to plop on top and feel better like they're adding a supplement to their pet's diet uh, to help with those GI upsets. But the efficacy is something that's still, the placebo effect is a powerful thing, if nothing else. And the dogs really like pumpkin, so it's tasty and most dogs do enjoy it. But yes, it's a common, it's a common one that people are always advocating for adding fiber to the diet. But on that topic, since pumpkin, while it tastes good and looks pretty and dogs will happily eat it, what sorts of things can you use to supplement fiber that are a little more backed by the research? There are several different things. The most common one that I would pull as a nutritionist, and it usually revolved around the question of a constipation, Because when you are a veterinary nutritionist, by the time the pet is getting to you, (laughs) there might be some additional complications. So they may need a diet to address one concern, but then they're like, but, especially cats, right? But this cat also is known for having constipation, so what do we do? And so the most common one I would pull for is a product called Cilium. And this is the active ingredient in Metamucil. So for those of you who might be slightly familiar with wanting to be more regular and taking a little Metamucil, that is actually psyllium. And you can get unflavored, so straight psyllium types of Metamucil. And then there's some that just sell it straight psyllium that you can get. I try to do just the plain psyllium. And it's you start in a low dose and work your way up to effect is pretty much what we work with. So there's the art that comes into <laughs> nutrition. But so that that's the most common one for that I'll pull sometimes for either constipation or diarrhea because psyllium is a unique fiber because it's soluble and is absorbing that water. It does that both lube the chute as well as absorb the extra water that could be in in loose stool as well. So it's a fun fiber to play with. 
you just even want to play with it in your kitchen, that's the nerd coming out of me. But if you are looking for more of a insoluble fiber, so this would be more of your diarrhea type, you might be looking at, oh, maybe I need some of the insoluble. We sometimes will pull like brand cereals as if you can still find one that doesn't have a lot of the additional ingredients. There's still a few out there. Sometimes those work. Sometimes even puppies, we have to be careful with them because they they need very balanced nutrition and there's not as many over-the-counter kind of options for them. So we might pull some of those cereals for a nice fibery addition to their food. But also... The other thing that comes up too is if somebody wants to look at a label, because Stephanie, you talked about, we're getting really good at understanding these types of fibers and being able to put them in into diets. So I I love you, you've been doing the formulation a little bit longer. Maybe if somebody pulled out a diet on a commercial food, what type of fibers might they come across? Because I, I happen to know some of them have some pretty funny names. So it might be helpful to explain what some of those are. Yeah, I think that's a really good question and it's twofold. One is what do we classify as a fiber on the ingredient deck? Sometimes identifying what ingredients do contain fiber and then what kind of fiber is really important. Uh, a lot of our pulse ingredients, peas and beans, those are going to be a little bit higher in soluble fiber than your wheat or barley or oats. Both are great and both are fiber sources, but just a little bit different ratio in the insoluble and soluble. You might even see some interesting names like fecto-oligosaccharides, or I like to say FOS, and a long time ago was taught feed the friendly. So this is a particular prebiotic fiber, which is a slightly different than just normal regular fiber because it feeds those good bacteria in our gut. It's directly giving them the source, the fuel that they need to produce those short chain fatty acids, which we had mentioned earlier. There's also, you may see inulin or it will say source of chicory root. That's also a very common fiber. That is a prebiotic fiber that's in pet food as well. And I'd love to dive a little more into exactly what prebiotic fibers are because fiber is very com a complicated topic, which is why there's so much confusion around it because there's so many different ways to classify fiber and different names to for the same type of fiber. So with prebiotic fiber, it's different than our insoluble fiber in that this prebiotic fiber is going into the gut. It's not digested by our dogs or our cats. It's It makes its way through their stomachs pretty much unchanged when it hits their intestines. And in their intestines, that's where all the bacteria live. That If you supplement a probiotic, that's where all your little probiotics are going to colonize. And so you're essentially just providing a nice little snack for the beneficial bacteria that are already residing there. Would you say that feeding a combination of both pre and probiotics would be beneficial for our dogs and cats? If you're going to supplement with probiotics, would it make sense to also supplement with prebiotics as well? Depends. This is a, a typical nutritionist answer. Depends on the individual dog. It depends on the probiotics that we're adding in. It depends on when we're adding them in into the product. 
taking a step back to prebiotic fiber, all prebiotics are fibers, but not all fiber is prebiotic fiber. So like you were talking about that unchanged, we're looking for that fermentable characteristic in this fiber. If you've ever had a barley beverage, the fermentation product that that happens to get that beverage is what's happening in the gut. We're providing a fermentable fiber source to our bacteria to then eat and produce the byproducts, which then give our body energy or our pet's body energy. So depending on what prebiotic fiber or what types of fiber are even going into the diet and then the strains of probiotic fibers, sometimes even adding in a really good yeast can add that that a symbiotic relationship to help probiotics out as well. But that's definitely diving into a whole different category <laughs> of fiber and gut health. Now, I do want to point out that one of the benefits of supplementing fiber One of the benefits of supplementing our soluble and insoluble fiber is that it's very fast acting and you can see results very quickly. And as a colleague of mine so eloquently said, if you've ever eaten one too many fiber bars, you know exactly how fast acting fiber supplementation truly is. So it is a wonderful option for our pets when they are experiencing some GI upset, especially in the form of diarrhea to try and create a quick fix for them. So we're not having to deal with messier than normal cleanups. That's a great point. If I may add just slightly differently though, it's if you have a pet who has to go on a weight loss food, that is often a higher fiber food. And so it's going to be a little bit more of those insoluble fibers because we want them to feel full so that they can still enjoy their food and get to that wonderful weight that's going to allow them to live longer and feel better. But along with that, they will produce more out the back end. So they are going to poop more. And so sometimes we have to make sure we remember that too, is as you change diets or if you're adjusting those fiber sources, you're right, it can result pretty quickly, whether it's you poop more or poop faster or something like that. So yeah, fiber is quite powerful. We use it for a lot of different things, whether they're cats or dogs. So there's a lot of benefit to it. And and because of a diversity of types, we can really tailor these different nutrients to ultimately provide the right nutritional balance for pets. And I think that's a wonderful just moment to toss in (laughs) that this is the importance of doing a nice slow transition whenever you're transitioning your dog or cat to a new diet. The back of the bag will recommend a slow transition typically over a week or two. And especially if you're switching to a diet that's a lot higher in fiber for the purpose of weight loss or GI health. A slow transition will help to mediate some of those effects of additional fiber in the diet. So whenever you're doing any sort of supplementation or transitioning diets, ease into it and let your pet's digestive tract adjust. I would love to, for our cat owners, I know we talk a lot about dogs and picking up after dogs, but for our cat owners, I'd love to just briefly touch on how fiber 
can help with some problems that cats typically have, such as hairballs. Would either one of you mind discussing some of the problems that ail our little kitty friends more frequently and how fiber can help them? I love talking fiber in cats. It's a lot of fun. So I mentioned a little bit about constipation. There are some cats that we don't know all the reasons why, but for some reason they are very prone to getting constipated. And that is where certain fibers can be our best friends with those cats. It's actually been pretty pretty wonderful transitions. You have this the cat who keeps having constipation issues and going in. And then if you get the right diet and fiber balance, a lot of times we can even wean them off a lot of those medications that they were using. So it's just some power of nutrition there, that wonderful fiber. But then also you mentioned hairballs. So that's a, a little bit different type of fiber that we can use that helps with hairballs. And it, <laughs> when I first heard the number of how much hair cats ingest when they groom, it's two-thirds. So if you think of these cats with especially like our long-haired cats, it's pretty incredible to think about all the hair that they are actually swallowing when they're grooming themselves. And the last thing we want is for that for that hair to get stuck in the GI tract. Or if you are a cat owner, you probably experienced the lovely exorcist hairball event. And, and so we can actually use those insoluble fibers to help attach onto that hair and keep it on moving through. Like I said, fibers help with that transition in the GI tract. So that fiber can keep it all moving through. And it's a lot easier to clean up in the litter box than it is coming out the other end. Those are my stories, hopefully not too graphic. But <laughs> my and fiber with cat is yucca. Um, oh, yeah. So that can really help in terms of odor. Dogs are great because they, most of the time, they are potty trained and they go outside and do their poo. But cats, on the other hand, use a litter box. And it's always that fear of, did I clean the litter box well enough? Does my house stink? And amazingly, fiber can help with odor control. So there are studies that have shown that a little bit of yucca in the diet, obviously being formulated in, I wouldn't recommend just putting a nice chunk of yucca on top. Just boon it on. But that can help with cat oh, fecal odor. So hairballs, constipation, odor, it's a jack of all trades, really. You know, back to the weight loss as well, cats, we've got a lot of weight issues and in, especially indoor cats, so comes into play there too. So fiber is definitely friend when with cats. <laughs> I think that's so important to touch on just because I'm sure we've all heard or most of us have heard that cats are obligate carnivores. So meat is, they only need meat in their diet. So when you think of an obligate carnivore, the first thing that comes to mind isn't always fiber, but it just goes to show that just because they are, they do need meat in their diets doesn't negate the fact that fiber can still be beneficial for their overall health. And some cat owners, and I haven't been a cat owner in a hot minute, so I don't know if this is old practice, they have cat grasses usually growing in their window. And that is a really good fiber source for cats too. So while you may not want it in your pet food or you don't think you want it in your pet food, they're actually getting fiber too. So by having it in their pet food is two birds, one stone. It's in the diet. It's usually formulated appropriately. 
not saying that growing cat grasses and letting your cat numb on them is a bad thing, but it just goes to show like when cats get the opportunity, they do want a little bit of fiber in their diet. My cat loves cat grass. (laughs) (laughs) She's very particular about it though. It has to be the fresh, like just sprouted cat grass because then when it gets too old, it must get tougher. It's not green, like the light green tender grass. So yes, we have, we're constantly rotating the little containers of cat grass that we're actively cultivating for our obligate carnivore in the house. (laughs) So I know earlier in an episode, we talked about probiotics and that's the live culture or the good bacteria that you're feeding to your pets to increase the number of beneficial bacteria that live in their gut. And then we're talking about prebiotics, which are the food for those beneficial bacteria. So can you expand on how those two interact? Yeah, it's really important when we're looking at inoculating the gut with these viable microorganisms that are beneficial. But are we providing food for them? And that's where the prebiotic fibers come in from. So if you think about it as a car being a probiotic, It's great, right? It can get you places, but if you don't have gas, you're going nowhere. And you've got a brand new car, but you can't use it. So it's just going to sit there. I'm not saying that when you give probiotics and you inoculate the gut, that if you don't give it with a prebiotic fiber, it's going to go nowhere. But it's a guarantee that you're giving them that fuel to do what they need to do, which is only going to support their growth and help proliferate or keep reproducing in the gut and really having a healthy gut bacteria balance. Yeah. And I think the term that they're starting to use when you give both the pre and the probiotic is that symbiotic. And I think it's implying that they're working together to have the overall bigger, better effect. So that term comes up. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I love that example. Yeah. Now, just curious, if, if a pet owner wanted to supplement additional prebiotics to their pet's food, and keep in mind, ratio of different fibers is very important. So when looking for supplementing fiber, ensuring that we're hitting the proper ratios of things is undoubtedly a concern that we're going to have. But if pet owners wanted to supplement a prebiotic fiber to an existing food, what would be a good source? I know we talked about the chicory root and the fructooligosaccharides, but are there other products out there that are a good source of prebiotic fiber? Yeah, your psyllium husk is going to help as well. What If you're worried about, am I getting enough prebiotic fiber with my probiotics? There are some supplements out there that actually add both into it. And so you're, again, you're not only gifted with a car, but you're gifted with a car with gas. And so it makes that trip a little bit easier as opposed to pushing your car. So there are supplements out there. I would definitely look at the CFUs or how much probiotic and what strains are in there. Do they work together? Are they working against each other? But then also look at the prebiotic fiber. And then going back again, Is this some insoluble or soluble or a mixture of both? And then I don't know if we've talked about this or not. We've talked about how fast acting it is, but a little goes a long way. And so always titrate or start with a lower dose, or at least this is what I recommend. 
start with a lower dose, see how your dog or cat handle it, and then you can increase to the full feeding dose. There's been sometimes in clinics that people get a little overzealous and they're like, I'm going to give a full serving. And then I get a call two days later and they're like, my dog exploded. My, my cat won't get out of the litter box. And I'm like, we just totally shifted from very little fiber and no probiotics to a whole dose. And we're expecting our gut to catch up. So I always recommend low and low and work your way up to a good dose. And it may never be that full serving and that's okay because some guts are different. And as long as you find that good balance and your pet has a good back-end performance, stool quality, it, it's working for them. And I think it is important also to note that while we are talking about fiber supplementation for if you're experiencing problems, increasing fiber, if you're having diarrhea or constipation, for our prebiotic fiber, a more consistent, you know, application of it is going to be more beneficial than a one-time supplement. So that way you're consistently feeding those gut bacteria. So that way you keep your healthy gut microbiome. So hopefully you don't have bouts of diarrhea or constipation because everything will be running smoothly. So that's where these diets that have prebiotic fiber added into them and have that good ratio between soluble and insoluble fiber come in really handy to keep everything in the pipes running well. Going back to that silly car analogy, you don't just get one tank of gas and you're good to go. You got to keep filling up. And just as the gut empties, you got to fill it back up again with prebiotic fibers. For better or for worse, that car analogy really works. <laughs> it does. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to learn more about fiber, the next episode will be the continuation of this conversation on how fiber has a role in, you got it, scooting and anal gland problems. We know anal glands can be a common frustrating concern for dog parents, so we decided to give it its own mini episode. Additionally, a couple episodes ago, we talked about probiotics in the microbiome. That was a great episode with our guest, Dr. Steve Larner. If you have a topic you would like for us to discuss, please reach out to us at BSM Partners. We want these episodes to be valuable for you. And until next time.